So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. We're in the book of Genesis. We've been studying as a church this book, which gives us God's answers to life's most important questions. As you turn there, I wonder, have you ever heard the phrase, the apple does not fall far from the tree? Have you ever heard that phrase? The the apple does not fall far from the tree. I messed up saying that three times the first service, so I nailed it. I'm happy. That phrase basically says, listen, the, the children are just like their parents. Often we say it when we say, oh, man, that, that, that person, look at how they're behaving. That's just like their mom. That's just like their dad. Well, wouldn't you know it, Genesis chapter 4 is a story where we see that the apple does not fall far from the tree. This is a, a chapter that records for us the very first children of Adam and Eve and what their experience was like in a world that was now impacted because of the choices and decisions of, of their parents. And so we're going to pick it up here in verse 1. I'm going to read through the, the text today, making some comments along the way, pausing, and then coming to what I believe are some very powerful applications, some thoughtful things for us this morning. So here's how God's Word speaks to us. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 starts very simply. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Um, The book of Genesis is the book of firsts. We have the first man, we have the first woman, we have the first marriage, we have the first sin, and now here we have a record of the first child to be born, this boy by the name of Cain. And there are some significant things to be learned about Cain and about the proclamation concerning him. And so if we're going to understand his name being Cain, as well as what Eve has to say about him, I just got to quickly review for us what happened in chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, it started with Adam and Eve in a perfect world, in a perfect garden, in perfect relationship with God. Everybody remember that part of the story? The world was exactly as it was made to be. And yet, midway through the story, Adam and Eve ultimately went against the word of God. God said, if you obey my word, guess what? All is going to go well with you in this world. You disobey my word, death is going to be brought in. And do you remember how we talked about how how we think about death as the opposite of, of life? And when we think about death being the opposite of life, we think about death being equated with no longer existing. But, but that's not what death is in the Bible. It's not about no longer existing. Death is about experiencing the opposite of life. Everything that life is, everything that you and I get to experience in, in perfection according to God's design is now lost because of sin. So Adam and Eve disobey God. They sin. And what happens because of that is God levels a curse against them. And yet, at the end of chapter 3 and verse 15, God says, you messed things up. There's consequences for your actions, but I'm going to tell you there's a promise. One day, someone is going to come who's going to bring about the redemption of the human race. Someone's going to come who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Someone's going to come who's going to right what you made wrong. So Genesis chapter 3 ends with Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden now experiencing judgment because of their sin, yet graciousness from God because he clothes their nakedness, as well as graciousness from God because he promises 
that a redeemer is going to come one day. So that's how Genesis 3 ends. Genesis chapter 4 begins with all of a sudden, Adam and Eve knowing one another, having sexual relations, and then conceiving and having a child. The child is born, and his name is Cain. And here's what I want to put forth. I believe, based on his name and what Eve says about him, that Eve thought that Cain was this promised redeemer. That Cain was the one whom Eve thought was going to be making all right what they made wrong. Now, why do I say that? Well, the name Cain, you want to talk about what's in a name? The name Cain means acquired. Acquired. It comes from a Hebrew word, a derivative of a Hebrew word, kana. And so it's kind of this play on words. Eve comes and says, well, I had a boy and she names him Cain, which means kana, means acquired, or more specifically in the context, I've gotten him. He's here. So, so the text literally comes and reads, now, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore, he's here. She bore, I've acquired him. I believe that in Eve's mind, she thought that this was going to be the one who was going to make up what they did. This is further emphasized by what she says about him. Look at the text again. I've gotten a man. Notice, she gives birth to a baby, but she calls him a man. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, that's what your English translations say. That's what the majority of English translations say. Literally, though, in the Hebrew, that's not how it reads. Literally, in the Hebrew, it reads this. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore. Here he is saying, I have brought forth a man, even the Lord. Some of you are thinking, wait a second, does she think that she gave birth to God or something like that? No, no, no. The word for Lord here in, in the translation is, is synonymous with the idea of deliverer. And so Eve is coming in the first one and she's saying, I believe that this child that's been born to me is the deliverer. He's here. The one who was promised. Boy, was she about to be disappointed. <laughs> in fact, we know that she was disappointed because of what happens in verse 2. Look at And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now, this is both funny and cruel at the same time. Let me explain what I mean. If Cain, if his name could be translated, here he is, do you know what Abel's name means? It comes from a Hebrew word, haval. It's a play on the word haval. And that word is the word that's translated vapor, breath, or meaningless. It's the exact same word that the writer of Hebrews or the writer of Ecclesiastes uses, when he writes in Ecclesiastes, you know this phrase? Meaningless, meaningless, everything is what? Meaningless. Or if you have an older translation, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. That's the exact same Hebrew word. It's haval, 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 all is haval. So she has a child named Cain, and I believe very early on after his birth, she realizes he's a little sinner just like them. And so when the second child is born, she just says, well, this one's meaningless. The first one didn't turn out. The second one's just like him. I'm going to name him Abel. Seems kind of cruel, but in a sense, I believe that Eve has come to realize, listen, this deliverer who's going to come, it's not going to be because of something that she and Adam did. It's going to have to be the work of the Lord because my first child, my boy, he didn't turn out like I thought he would. My second one, Abel, she just names him meaningless. How would you like that to be your name? 
my name is here I am. And I, my brother's name is meaningless. Like, you, I'm surprised Abel didn't kill Cain. No, never mind. I'm getting ahead of the story. Getting ahead of the story. Okay. So, so here's what we have going on. We, we have this hopeful expectation, but it doesn't pan out just yet. Eve is somebody who puts her hope in something, but it's not what she ultimately expected. But then all of a sudden we get this like hopeful note. Look at what it says. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. You know why this is important? Anybody want to anybody wanna guess or does anybody remember what the command was that God gave to Adam after he was created in Genesis 126 through 30? You don't have to shout it out. Let me remind you of it. God came and said, let's make man in our image. And so he makes man in his image. And then he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then God says, all that I have is food for you to eat that comes from the ground. So look at what happens. Cain is born, Abel is born. And the next verse says... Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Cain and Abel are actually fulfilling the commandment that God had given to humanity. Isn't that interesting? Now, how would they have known that that's what they were supposed to do? I believe when we read this verse that Adam and Eve faithfully passed on this commandment to the Lord. Rather than turning completely away from God after their sin, they realized that it was right for them to still obey God's word. And if God told them, to take care of the earth and to use it in order to sustain themselves that they should do it. And their two sons are doing that exact thing. There's a little side note, I think, here for us. Adam and Eve passed on God's word to their children. The side note for me as I was reading this is it got me to wonder, how am I in passing on God's word to my children? This is a significant part of what it means to be a follower and worshiper of God, to pass on to him. What is it that we are passing on to the next generation? It's cool to pass on traditions. It's nice to pass on, you know, character traits, maybe to one degree or another. It's, it's good to even to pass on your knowledge of certain things, but the most important thing that we can ever pass on to the next generation is the word of God. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> I mean, that is what God has called us to. And so Adam and Eve seem to be doing that. Things look to be going well in the world now. Sure, there's sin, but, but maybe, maybe humanity's taking a turn. Maybe things are going to turn out. Well, let's see. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought forth of the firstborn of his flock and out of their fat portions. Wow. This is really striking. This verse is really striking because not only are Cain and Abel doing what God commanded in subduing the earth and, and providing for themselves like they were supposed to, but now they're offering up gifts to the Lord, which is really striking because up to this point in Genesis, humanity's never been commanded to offer up any sacrifices. We know that God killed the animals in order to clothe the nakedness of Adam and Eve, but God's not going to come and, and, and require sacrifices of his people till later on. He hasn't instituted it, and yet for some reason, Cain and Abel understand, whether taught by Adam or Eve or something, that they should be offering back to God, that they should be making sacrifices to him. 
Now, we know that later the sacrifices were for the purpose of reminding the people of God that he was going to send someone who would atone for their sins. And we also know that the sacrifices were given by God so that the people of God would remember to keep him before them. But we're not clear as far as why they're offering sacrifices. What we do know, though, is that in the offering of their sacrifices, something is revealed. Look at this. It continues on, verse 4. And the Lord had regard for, that is, or he accepted Abel and his offering. That's a good thing, right? right? He accepted Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had what? No regard. He didn't accept it. Now look at what Cain's response was. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The text says very clearly that for some reason, God accepted and was pleased with Abel as a person and the offering that he made, but not with Cain. And while we don't know how Abel felt about all of this, we do know that Cain was very displeased. He was angry and he was sullen. This leads us to a very obvious question. The obvious question is, why did God accept Abel and his offering, but not Cain and his? Everybody tracking with me? Doesn't that seem like a question that we want to answer here? Why, why God, did you reject Cain? They both bring offerings. They're different types. But why did you reject Cain and his offering, but accept Abel and his? Often, it's been supposed that it was because of the difference in the offerings. Abel brought animals. He brought a blood sacrifice. And, and because he brought a blood sacrifice, that was more acceptable to God versus this grain offering or this vegetable or fruit offering that, that Cain brought. That God wanted the blood sacrifice. He didn't want this other type of sacrifice. I'm here to say that's not the case at all. The Old Testament scriptures, it says that both types of offerings were acceptable to God. And moreover, in the text, in the context of the text, it says nothing, nothing about how God prioritizes the blood offering over that of the grain offering. Instead, the text is very clear on what the issue was. Do you, do you see it? Do you see it in the text? It's, it's actually right there. It says very clearly, look at this, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now, if you look at that carefully, you should discern the problem. You should discern the problem. What is it? We see here that when Abel brought his sacrifice, he brought the firstborn. He brought the fat portions. Now, we don't talk about that much today. But what this text is telling us is that Abel brought his very best. And not only did he bring his very best, through the bringing of his firstborn and the fat portion, he was showing that, God, you go first. God, you're preeminent. God, I'm going to offer up to you first, and then whatever is left that's what I will live off of. 
versus Cain, who simply brought notice what the text says, the fruit of the ground. It doesn't say that he brought the first of his harvest. It doesn't say that he brought the first fruits. The the Hebrew is very intentional in letting you and I know that for Cain, what he brought was the leftovers. What Cain brought was not the first and the best. For Cain, this bringing to the Lord was a secondary thing. If I were to put this in a modern context, I think this will help us. Because it, but it, because it, it hits at the home of what is happening and why the, the offerings were revealing what was really going on in the heart of Cain and what was going on in the heart of Abel. Because see, Abel in his offering, he was showing that he had set God apart as first in his heart. Cain's offering demonstrated that was not the case. To put it in a modern context, it would be something like this. Abel, in coming and bringing the first and the fat portions, was coming as though someone who would say, all right, here's my paycheck. At the first of the month, here's how much I know that I will make. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to set apart, predetermined, before I decide what I'm going to live off of, I'm not going to decide what I need in order to live. I'm going to decide, first and foremost, what I believe God is worthy of as a demonstration that he is first in my life. And so I'm looking at my paycheck, and I'm saying, Lord, you get the first. You get the best of what I have. And then, then I will choose to live off of the rest. That's what Abel was doing. You see, to give God your firstborn, do you know how risky that was? See, because if you got a mommy and you got a daddy lamb, right, and, and then they have the baby, that's your income. That's your sustenance. That, that's your food. And if I take the first and I give it to the Lord, there's a risk. You know what the risk is? What happens if something kills the mom? What if the dad gets sick? Am I going to be able to have more animals? No. So what is he doing? He's saying, God, I'm trusting in you so much that I'm going to give to you first and foremost what these two produce, showing that I believe and I trust in you and your provision, and so I'm giving this to you first. And then if they produce more, then that comes to me. That's why I say the example here is even more extreme than you or I setting apart to the Lord. Here's what you get, God, first, and then I'm going to live off the rest. Because Cain demonstrates the mindset of most people. What Cain does here, if we were to put it in a modern context, is when Cain offers the fruit of the ground, it's the equivalent of you or I getting our paycheck, paying all of our bills, covering all of your monthly expenses, going out and eating where you want to eat, getting the clothes that you want to buy, and then at the end of the month, looking what is left in your bank account, and then saying, okay, God, you get this. That's what it meant for Cain to give of the fruit of the ground. He didn't give his first, and he sure didn't give his best. God got from Cain the leftovers. And it was revealing what was in his heart in relationship to the Lord. It wasn't about the offering itself. It was about the heart behind the offering. And and so what we see here clearly demonstrated is that Abel understood the God that he worshipped and what he should get from his people. Cain 
his heart wasn't given to him. In fact, we know that Cain had not set God apart as first because it says, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. He was upset. God, you rejected my offering. Rather than recognizing this as as God rebuking him, Cain felt like God should have accepted his leftovers. And he was angry and his face fell. Now, what, what God should have done when he saw that response from Cain, I'll tell you what I, what I would, would have done. I mean, in my human heart, somebody doesn't do, doesn't give to me the, the, the reverence, the whatever that is due to me when your child doesn't obey you, when they don't follow through with you, and then, and then they get upset with you about that. I mean, I think I'd get angry, right? I think I'd say, well, I'm going to show you. But what does God do? Uh, praise the Lord, he's not like us. If anybody thinks that the God of the Old Testament is this Thor-type God with lightning bolts, or sorry, Zeus-type God with lightning bolts who's, who just wants to crush us, look at what he does. He does for Cain the very same thing that he did for his mom and dad when they sinned the first time. Rather than going and ripping them a new one, he comes to them and he speaks a word and he says, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? God knows why he's angry, and God knows what Cain deserves, but he looks to draw Cain out to enter into a dialogue with him so that he can ultimately show his grace and lead Cain off the path of sin that he's walking on. And so the very first thing that God does is he speaks to Cain, and he offers him a word of hope. Why is your face fallen? Why are you angry? Look at verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Oh, Cain, buddy. Don't you know what's going on? I'm, I'm dealing with your heart here. The reason why your, your sacrifice was rejected is, don't you know what's right? To put me first, and I'm not first in your heart and mind. You, you're, you're, you're going towards other things. You've set other things up as preeminent. He's trying to lead Cain out of his despair. He's trying to enter in with this x-ray question to get Cain to realize that there's still hope for his condition to change. But then he comes and he speaks a word of warning. He comes to him and he says, but listen, if you do not do well, if you do not acknowledge what you have done and what's going on in your heart, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is what? Contrary to you. Cain, do you realize you're on dangerous ground? Do you realize that sin, if it's not dealt with in your heart and mind, it's like a beast hiding behind the door that's going to devour you? It's contrary to you. Sin wants your destruction. Sin does not want you to enjoy the life that God has created for you to have. Sin is contrary to you. Man, I wish that before I ever engage in sin, I would I would just hear this in my mind. I pray that maybe you would hear this in your mind. Whenever you are tempted to go against God's word, against his law, which is for you and for me, life, that we would realize, listen, sin is contrary to you. It's never going to deliver what it promises. Adam and Eve in the garden, Satan said, oh, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. Just reject his word. It's going to be well with you. It never delivers on its promise. It only brings death. And that's what God is saying to Cain. Turn from this. Turn from this. And then he offers a word of exhortation finally. He says, listen, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire 
is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Some translations say, but you must master it. Don't go down this road. There's still hope. There's still time, but you've got to call it for what it is. You have to see that you're on a path that's going to lead towards destruction, but there is still time, Cain. There's still time. At this point in the story, Cain is at a crossroads. Will he accept and follow the word of the Lord? Will he give in to sin? But today, here's where we're going to stop with this part of the story. <laughs> we're going to pick up the rest of it next week. And all right, are you ready? Spoiler alert, Cain kills his brother. <laughs> we, we all know this, okay? Some of you are like, what? No! Yeah, you can read it. He goes down the path. He doesn't deal with what's been happening in his, in his heart. And we're going to extrapolate that next week. We're going to look in that more deeply. But we... We close with this point where we see God is this God of of grace, trying to come and trying to help his people if they will just listen to his word. And so here's what I want to close with, four points of application for us today. Four points of application. As we hear this story, we say this happened thousands of years ago to the very first brothers. This was the first sibling rivalry, if you will. So what does this have to speak to me, Valley Center Community Church 2019? I think it has a lot to say to us. Here, here's the first thing. In, our, in this room here today, there, there are two groups of, of people, I believe. I, I generalize, I know that, bear with me, but it helps. There's two groups of people. Those who have been touched by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, who know him as Lord and Savior, who, who have given their lives to him and realize that they're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's something very specific for us to consider from this. Then there's those who are exploring Christianity and thinking, what really is the message of this? What, why would I even care to give my heart to God in these things? Well, here's the first thing that you need to realize. A lot of people get the story of the Bible wrong. A lot of people think that the story of the Bible is what God requires you and I to do in order to be right with him. That, that we go through the religious motions of coming to church, praying, baptized, doing all these things, giving to the Lord, because in some way that makes us right with him. First thing to know from this story, listen to me, it's this. Doing religious things does not make you right with God. Doing religious things does not mean that you are right with God. If the story of Cain and Abel is anything, it's this. These two brothers both offered sacrifices. From the outside looking in, both looked like worshipers of God. Both brought offerings. Both in our modern context would be churchgoers. If you saw Cain and you saw Abel, they're part of the same family, it would appear to you and I that they both worshiped God, but here's the fact of the matter. Simply doing religious things, saying religious things, going to church, that does not make you a follower and worshiper of Jesus Christ. If anything, this story should serve as a warning, as a wake-up call. If you think that God is going to accept you because of the things you do, I want to say this as lovingly as I can, you don't really know the God of the Bible. The message of the Bible is not that you do religious things and God accepts you. Because here's the second point. God's concern is for your heart. God's concern is for your heart. As we saw earlier, the reason that God did not accept the offering of Cain was because Cain's heart was not right towards God. 
All right, I'm going to get ahead to my fourth point here, but so, so don't, don't listen too carefully because I want, I want to talk about it in more detail. All right, but, but what's happening here is Cain comes and his offering simply, it reveals what is in Cain's heart. And what's in Cain's heart is that, God, you get my seconds. God, you don't get what is first because, God, you're not first in my heart. And, and, and what God will say later to the people of Israel and what Jesus will say to the Pharisees one day is this, listen, it's not about the sacrifices. It's not about the sacrifices. The prophet Isaiah would come and would say these words, speaking for the Lord, Isaiah 29, 13. Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Or Hosea 6, 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. See, the people of God later on, just like Cain, they were going through the motions. They were offering up sacrifices. And God says, you can burn all the goats and bulls and sheep and everything that you want all day long. I'm concerned about your heart. Your offering sacrifices should be a revelation of what you believe about me. Don't come offering sacrifices thinking that that's going to make you right with me. It's about coming with a heart and offering up sacrifices with a heart that understands who I am. And to put the proverbial nail in the coffin, the author of Hebrews would write these words in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. He would write about this very story, and here's what he would say in Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as what? Righteous. See, the author of Hebrews says very clearly, do you know why God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? It's because the heart of Abel, he had put his faith in the God to whom he was sacrificing. He knew that all of his life was dependent upon the one that he offered the sacrifice towards. Abel came with a sacrifice of praise. Cain came out of duty. I'm here to tell you, God is concerned for your heart. That's why the Apostle Paul would say, if, if anyone believes, with, believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. See, who do you see your God to be? Let me backtrack. Who do you see God to be? Is he your God? Do you see him as the creator of all things? And do you see him as the one who desires to have relationship with you and who offered to you and to the world his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life? Or, or is he just some far-off deity that does not care about you, that instead just wants your sacrifices and wants you to do certain things so that maybe one day he will love and accept you? God has poured out his grace upon humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, if, if you don't know me in that way, if you don't know what I've done for, for you, then, then, then you don't have me in your heart in the way that I, I desire to be had. God's concern is for your heart. And that's why I want to say this, to be right with God. You want to know, I'm talking to this first group where, where, where you don't know who God is and what he's done. Listen, to be right with God, you must give yourself over to him. 
If there's anything that this story tells us about our relationship to God and his relationship to us, he is asking for you to give yourself over to him fully. To acknowledge your sin like Abel who's coming and saying, God, it doesn't matter if, if my sheep never have another child. If, if I'm left with nothing, you deserve everything from me because it's all yours. And the way that we demonstrate that today is believing the word of God, which comes to us and says, God, I bring nothing to this table. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and my sin. And the way that you demonstrate that you believe that to be true, that you give yourself over to him, is you say, it's not of me, it's all of you. God, your grace abounds to me. Have you done that? Do you, do you know that? Are you Cain or are you Abel in this, in this story? Where are you today? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved. Is your faith in yourself? Oh, I hope not. Is your faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your salvation? Oh, I hope so. See, it's only when we get that down that I can make this last point. In some ways, I feel like I should have made the entire message about this last point because now I want to talk very specifically to my church family. I want to share with you what, what kind of washed over me. It's a very simple point, but I think its application is profound. I've been talking a lot about how it's not about the sacrifice, it's not about the sacrifice, it's about the heart. But now I need to come back and I need to say this. What you say and do does reveal what you believe about God. Are you tracking with me? Don't miss this point in the story. While it's true that God accepted the sacrifice and the offering of Abel because his heart was right towards the Lord at the same time, don't make the mistake of thinking that his sacrifice didn't matter because Abel's sacrifice, it revealed as in the same way what you say and what I do reveal what you believe about God. This is huge. You see, there are people in this room who are true Christians and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I know you. You're my church family. I know that there are those of us who believe this. But I have to be honest. There are those of us who know and believe these things to be true. We believe Jesus is our Savior, but we're not living as though he's Lord. Do you know that he's both? He rescues, he saves, and he delivers. But he is to be set apart first in your life, in my life, in my actions, my speech, my conduct. Those things are to demonstrate to demonstrate that he is preeminent in my life, that he's preeminent in your life. And you'll notice here in your notes that I have a question, two questions, really. The first question is this. What does the use of my time, money, and speech reveal about my relationship with God? Have you considered that question? I want you to. I want to. I want to examine myself because did you know that Jesus, when asked, what is the greatest commandment, said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the greatest commandment. Now, how many of us obey that perfectly? <laughs> right? Only Jesus Christ does. And so we recognize that we don't always measure up, that we don't always live it. And so we're dependent upon his forgiveness for not doing so. But here's the thing. Just because we fail at times to obey that commandment, does that mean that God no longer requires you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Jesus said two very important things. He said, first, where your treasure is, there your heart will what? Be also. 
And he also said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you know him as Lord and Savior, my question is, what does the use of your time, my time, money, and my speech reveal about my relationship to God? Because we have been saved through Jesus Christ, empowered now to live for him. He should be preeminent in our life. I told you, I told you earlier in the modern context what the sacrifice of Abel would look like. Do you remember what I said it would look like? In the modern context, it would look like you and I, as far as it pertains to our resources, saying, Lord, before I spend anything on myself, before I determine what I need to live on, I'm going to make sure that I've set apart what I believe you're worthy of. That's why the last question that I have for us to consider is, when was the last time you demonstrated that God was first in your life, specifically by giving to him before you provided for yourself? Now, I can only ask us to examine these things because of everything that I've said before. We don't give to the Lord, and we don't do religious things to make God accept us. But we must never, as the people of God, fail to recognize that if such grace has been shown to us, if such a love has come to us, how does the use of my time, my speech, my conduct reveal that I believe him to be first and foremost? It's Advent season. The saints of the Old Testament had this promise that God would one day send forth a Savior to redeem them. And so they had this hope. Today, you and I live in the fulfillment of that hope because we look back and we see the fulfillment of that hope in Jesus Christ. And we get to come to the communion table and we get to proclaim to our hearts, Jesus, you died for me, you rose from the dead, I have new life in you. How are our lives going to show that we believe that to be true? Do they reveal that to be true? Is your life, is my life, that living sacrifice that God has called it to be? In and through Christ, it can be. But may we use this season to really consider, Lord, if you are who you say you are, does my time, does my money, does my speech, does my conduct, does my life reflect that I believe that to be true? Because in and, in and through Jesus Christ, it can. May he help us with that, amen? Let's pray together. Lord, as we come before you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, we recognize that those aren't empty words. For you to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if that is true, and it is, means that all of my life, all of our lives, are to be about making much of you. And so I pray for my church family as I pray for my family as well. For my own heart, Lord, as for all of our hearts that we would consider these questions. And if, and if, Lord, we look at those questions and say, yes, Lord, you are preeminent. You are first. You are worthy of all praise and, and honor. That that wouldn't just be words in our lips, but that our very lives, our pocketbooks, our time, our relationships, how we use them, Lord, would be a reflection that we believe this to be true. And so, Lord, we thank you. Thank you that we can actually have new lives. Lives that the Apostle Paul said were saved to live no longer for ourselves, but for him who saved us because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so it's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.